Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 82. Today we're going to be talking with Ed Taylor of Calvary Aurora, Colorado on the subject of leadership, biblical leadership in the role of the senior or lead pastor. I'm sure that most, if not all, of our listeners know of Ed Taylor. He's the senior lead pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. He was saved at Calvary Chapel Downey, grew in the Word and in ministry there for eight years, and then in 1999 moved to the Denver area with a desire and a heart to plant a church, which happened in December of 1999, where Calvary Church held its first service and has been growing deeper and wider ever since. Ed is the author of the book Ordinary Servant, the host of the Lead to Serve podcast, and the Bible teacher of the national radio broadcast Abounding Grace. Thanks, Ed, so much. I appreciate your willingness to be available and be part of this podcast and your graciousness in doing so. Well, it's good to be back, Bill. You know, I think I've really enjoyed the Poyman podcast and the different topics that you tackle and it feels like uh, we're sitting across the table from you and the men that you have as guests uh, gleaning from like years and years of, of wisdom and leadership. So thank you. Oh, you're kind to say that. That's encouraging. It really is. So as we approach the subject of leadership, Ed, you know, just how are you doing? You know, how are you doing in the, mid of, in the midst of COVID-19? How's the fellowship doing? Uh, all of those kinds of things, really. Just a conversational starter, I guess. Yeah. I mean, these are unprecedented times. I've been pastoring here now. We just celebrated 20 years last year. And this is, and I've been through a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties that weave itself into the church, but it's never, I've never experienced anything like this. And I know, you know, people would say, well, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So how can anything be unprecedented? But you know, the context is, is that we've never experienced anything in real time like this, but uh, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I'm generally tired physically. Uh, I haven't been, you know, for seven years, really, I haven't been able to sleep very well. But when you have a mind that is always thinking, as many pastors and leaders have, uh, it's hard to turn it off. And so that interrupts your sleep. Uh, and, and when your sleep is interrupted, then everything else follows. So it's it, it, I'm, I'm tired physically, but I'm grateful to be surrounded by a group of men and women that uh, love this church, serve their hearts out. Uh, we have reopened. Uh, we have reopened in uh, for a few, for almost a month and a half now, I think, uh, with restrictions, which, you know, is a whole different podcast, isn't it? I've never really would have thought that we would RSVP people to come to church. We would limit the amount of people. I the things that we're doing now, I would have never thought, never, never in a million years in August or back in February, March, if you told me, Ed, this is what your church is going to look like in July and mm -hmm. August, I would have said no way on hmm. uh, how wrong I would have been. But I think overall we're doing well. People are getting saved. People are coming back to church. Uh, we're making room. We're trying to navigate uh, through the limitations, like because the essence i know that's not really where we're going in the podcast but the essence of what we're trying to do is make decisions that honor god and really demonstrate not just say it but demonstrate that our desire to love our neighbors and 
really let people see it and be able to say if anyone ever comes into the door of our church anybody knocks on the door and says you guys are a plague to our culture or to our city we can look them in the eye and say we have done everything possible reasonably to care for this city to care for the people that walk in this building and but i think we're doing well i mean but you never know uh, a news conference can change everything yeah no kidding it's a volatile and very capricious time so on the subject of leadership, Ed, and, th- and I'm glad to, to hear you're doing, doing well. That's not a report that is uncommon. I, a lot of pastors are extending their reach, seeing people getting saved, all that kind of stuff. That's great. So just you know, off the cuff and not really on script here, I know you study leadership. I know you uh, love the, the subject and you love to teach on it, thus the podcast and the books you've written. But um, do you have a favorite go-to passage in Scripture that just kind of grabs your heart more consistently than others on the subject of leadership? I do. It's, a, it's an important one for me to remember continually that if I have any desire for greatness, that I must be the servant of all. Uh, that, that, that resonates. You know, I have a background in the corporate world, so... I've got a lot of training that they poured into me to oversee and manage and take care of large groups of people and budgets and things. Uh, they even brought somebody in to teach us the to teach us servant leadership back when it became a fad. When you know it's always been uh, the 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 mindset of Jesus, but in the corporate world, they're like they came in and said, "Oh, you know, this is the latest greatest we found, and we want to tell you about it." and but I need to remember that because of the responsibility that I have, the people that I oversee, uh, the ability to make decisions that affect people's lives. That I'm, and and any any type of anything in my flesh that would that would speak of greatness or making a name for myself or feeling some kind of satisfaction, anything that is human in nature <laughs> i'm remembering as as jesus said in luke 22 it's not so among you mm. um, on the contrary he said and i like that on the contrary he who is greatest among you let him be as the younger let him be he who governs let him serve and i need to remember that the key and that's really what what developed the the title for our podcast that I believe the degree of leadership uh, effectiveness is specifically related to the degree, you know, if you want to move forward, uh, then you've got to go deep in servanthood. And, and I think I just, I just don't want to be greatest, but in case that ever comes up, I want to remember that the greatness comes from letting me be like the younger, like I was a new believer, mm-hmm. uh, like, like I was just soaking it all in and let me, that, that overseas, I need to be a servant. Servant, and that's that's equal or somewhat synonymous to the idea of being a slave, isn't it? It is, you know, and I think in a modern day picture, I think of every time I go to a restaurant and I'm served by a waiter or a waitress or even the unseen, the cooks and the, the, the people that, that expedite and everything in the back of the house, the front of the house, like, like generally the best waiters, they just wait on you that's it they just take care of you they're they're attending to your needs they're they're not asking i I can't think of really 
any modern time I had a waiter come up, well, you just, you know, I, I just, I don't like this table. Uh, you guys don't ever express any appreciation to me. And uh, if you come back to the restaurant, I'll never serve you again. <laughs> uh, no, quite the contrary. Like, uh, we have a favorite Mexican restaurant here in town that we frequent, uh, you know, every couple weeks. And we generally get the same waiter. And, and he's just... Like, like he is just the epitome of a servant. And you see him hustling on all the tables that he gets, helping the other waiters. Uh, and who knows what he does when we're not there behind the scenes. And, and I, I just want in my mind, whether I'm seen or unseen, I just want to be able to serve someone as the Holy Spirit's leading me to make an impact that they would walk away, not even really remembering me as much as they remember the God that I serve. I love it. I love it. That's so encouraging. So uh, identifying then what leadership is, you've, you've already started the identification of it for our discussion, but particularly what biblical leadership is, how would you define biblical leadership, Ed? That's a multifaceted question as I was reviewing it in the notes that you sent me. It's really multifaceted, but if I had to summarize it in a word, it would be servanthood. And then if I had to summarize the model, it would be Jesus. And then if I had to summarize the methodology, you know, that's going to vary uh, depending on the context, depending on the people. But servanthood is really the essence of leadership. I, I mean, again, the depth of servanthood is serving the people that are closest to you, serving uh, in the church context, uh, the church, the families of the church, the kids. But servanthood in the sense that I'm here for you. You're not here for me. And so whatever giftings and talents and whatever knowledge I might have that comes across in an applicational way, when, I, when I'm on the property, even in this podcast, like I am here to serve you. I'll answer whatever questions you want. I will go as long as you want. Uh, I'm here for you. Um, and the opposite often the, the way that leadership, I think, corrupts. I mean, you know, think of some of the simple definitions, right? Uh, some of the simple, uh, uh, if you're leading, you have people following you. Well, that's not always true. You know, that's kind of a, if you're leading it, not, not everybody's following you. Um, they might be in proximity of you. Uh, you think of Moses. Uh, Moses is taking people in the children of Israel, but there were episodes when they were not following him. Um, they wanted nothing to do with his leadership. As a matter of fact, they wanted to go backwards. Uh, but that didn't minimize Moses' leadership. What it did was give him an opportunity to adjust and to adapt to this new revelation that I'm the deliverer of God's people and they don't want to follow me, Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, these people you've given me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, don't, I, don't always, I don't always opt into these, I, I don't want to call them worldly definitions necessarily. I don't want to say they're sinful but I think they're oversimplified. Like, yeah, leaders have people following them. Or if, you, if you're if you a leader, look behind you and see if people are following you. Hey, man, sometimes leaders are, are having to adjust to serve the people in order to build trust that they would follow you even in the difficulties. And I think uh, a very, a very well-known passage that's not often used in leadership development is Psalm 23. Because the model for the leader within the church is the shepherd. Mm. And the greatest picture of the shepherd is in Psalm 23. And you, you see the necessity of, of what the shepherd does and how he responds to his sheep. And he's just take sheep can't do anything on their own. Mm. So when you, you think of that, the shepherd is the complete package 
in taking care of those sheep. And I think that's a model we need to continue to apply in the context of Christian leadership. I'm glad you brought that up because as you know, and as probably everybody that's going to listen to this knows, the Greek word for pastor is the Greek word for shepherd. It's the same word, poimen, and thus the name of poimen Ministries. So uh, if I'm going to call myself a senior pastor, I'm really calling myself and I don't really refer to myself that way, but if I did, I would, uh, I would have to say I'm, I'm a, if anything, a senior, sh- senior shepherd, you know, taking care of sheep or attending to the needs of sheep. That's, that's huge. I think that when the more responsibility you get, uh, we, we have to back up. If, if we are in a position of leadership, then that's been entrusted to us. That's a, what I like to call restricted privilege. Uh, not everybody gets the privilege of leadership in God's church. That's, that's not something I dictate. It's not something you dictate. Uh, God is the. We're all we're all serving God in His church with uh, the the benefit of stewardship. This is His church, not our church. So we always have to have the right context because if we lose the context of what we're really doing, we're gonna we're gonna walk into and serve in ways that are not glorifying to God. We're gonna adopt methodologies that have been developed in the world that might work, I guess, into some degree, uh, that might draw people, might have great organization, but are we really fulfilling the biblical call of shepherd, pastor, uh, taking care of the flock, serving the sheep? Are we, like, you can have a full church, big church, big budget, you can have all the things that you aspire to and still fail at being a leader within the church. Isn't that scary? That's that's terrifying. It really is. <laughs> You know, back to Moses, you know, we we talk about in our circles a little bit, the Moses model, but Moses, he had a concern, I think, for two things. Number one, his greatest concern was for the reputation of God himself. And then secondly, he referred to God's people, Israel, as being God's people. They belonged to him. And he gained his greatest leadership equity, if you want to use that phrase, by really going to the mat for them. He saved their lives on a couple of times by offering his own life as an atonement for all of their sins. That's amazing. And I really don't, I'm glad you brought it up. It's really important in the context of this, especially you guys listening in from outside of our little fellowship family, because I know the breadth of the podcast, but in our little family at Calvary Chapel, uh, whenever the phrase Moses model uh, is used, it's almost always 99% pejorative. It's a negative way of someone trying to describe the leadership. I don't think it intended, you know, Pastor Chuck started with that phrase. I, I don't like that phrase because I think nowadays, it's kind of like the phrase, once save, always save. I don't like that phrase either. I'd, I'd rather talk about the eternal eternality of salvation than focus on the person. And I think when leadership comes, if someone looks at our church and go, oh, you guys have the Moses model, I say, no, not, not at all, uh, because it's been shifted. What I like is the model of Moses. I would yeah, much rather yeah. talk about that. Uh-huh. I would much rather shift that thinking and say, yeah, let's follow the model of Moses, because it's even become, I had a very prominent uh, Calvary Chapel pastor not too long ago in a discussion uh, over lunch, just talk about, and I think he's publicly said this too. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know he's publicly said this, but he called us as pastors benevolent dictators, mm. and and that that is the that is so far 
from the biblical model. We are not dictators, number one, at all in any sense, or at least we shouldn't be uh, in any sense of that word. We may have the potential to do that, but like, I'm not, I don't want to be a dictator. I want to cooperate with what God's doing. I want to serve those that serve with me. You know, they don't work for me. Uh, the people, the, the volunteers don't serve me. And when I think of the motto of Moses, I mean, come on, Bill, I, I don't know how often you've thought this, but think of this. God comes to you and say, you know what, Bill, uh, the people, uh, the, I'm, I, I see them just like you do. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start a brand new world out of you, Bill. How would you like that? Um, <laughs> I wish I could be super spiritual and go, well, always, I would say, never. Uh, I'm sure at times I'm like, okay, man, let's do it. <laughs> let's see how it goes. Uh, but you know where it'd end up, in the same place you were at that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So by definition, back to the leadership idea, a senior or lead or head pastor or shepherd is a leader. And that doesn't make him a mere figurehead it just, or just the one that gets into the pulpit each Sunday, but he actually is supposed to lead. So what does that mean specifically, that leadership uh, is uh, part of what a senior pastor is? What does that look like? The, the, the guy has to lead. He has to set the course. He has to do some vision stuff and implementing vision stuff. What does that look like? Well, I think leading, uh, if we, if a better way to understand that word lead, if you're looking for some methodologies, would be along the lines of example. Uh, I know that we have the phrase lead by example, but if a, if you're in a position of oversight, you have a position of responsibility, whatever it might be, if you shift your thinking into an example for the people with you, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to lead well, then I need to discern the heart of God for the people that are in front of me or for, you know, so I have, I have responsibility here for a church. So I have that lead position of a church. I have responsibility over a paid staff. I have responsibility over a Christian school. I have responsibility over a broad radio network uh, that has reach throughout Colorado. So as I, depending on what my context is, or in next Friday night, I'm going to go up to our junior high retreat. I'm going to teach our junior hires mm -hmm. and I'll have responsibility. So whatever my context is, I have a family, my wife, my kids, uh, wherever I am, I need to discern God's heart for the people in front of me. And, and then the real distinction, I think, where would make me the leader by example would be I have to make a I have to make a decision and implement that decision that that's really the the essence of what distinguishes me um, I have to make decisions and in, and then also empower people and inspire people to agree with me on those decisions so that together uh, we can go forward or go backward or go sideways, whatever God, which way God's telling us. We can march around the walls of Jericho. Imagine applying that, mm. uh, that information that Joshua got. Uh, but that's what he did. He received his information from God. He conveyed it to the leaders. He participated in it. And there was victory. And he was right out there with the, with the pack. He was doing exactly what he needed to do in order to, to lead. And so I think the... The role that I have, if I had to put it, I, I like to tell the guys here that we, we, we're like a, if, if we used a sports analogy, uh, we're like the manager in baseball 
that's my favorite sport, but we're the manager in baseball that also gets to play the game. You know, I think Pete Rose did that for a while. A few people were able to manage and play at the same time. And and that's what we are. We are responsible for the team, but at the same time, we get to go out and play our position. And sometimes it's actually on the field. Other times it's not. Other times it's in an office, it's on paper, we're praying, we're searching God's heart, we're looking through the scriptures. But I like that role. You remember what Peter said, right? Uh, to shepherd the flock of God, what? That is among you. Yeah. And so there's that that sense of if I'm not among the people, if I'm not leading by example, if I'm not listening carefully, if I'm not in the thick of things, then I'm not going to be a very good leader. Yeah. I'm thinking as you're talking, Ed, that, uh, and it is scary. I mean, this, this ought to bring us and keep us on our knees all the time, this leadership thing. But I'm thinking of how supernatural it is to lead. I mean, it's such a supernatural thing. Like Joshua, what could possibly compel three and a half million Jews or whatever the number was to follow him in the Jericho thing or across the Jordan River or any other thing, the conquest of the land? Uh, and then Moses, too, for 40 years through the wilderness, he had his, obviously his, his difficulties with those people, but that was a very supernatural thing. The supernaturalness of leadership. What do you think? I think that's super important um, in relate, no pun intended, but that's a super <laughs> important principle because the world in which we live has muddied the waters of leadership. And I don't necessarily think that that it is with ill motives i don't think but there's a different context of how you lead in the world and what the differences are leading in the church and we forget that everything we're talking about right now everything we're involved in is not on our shoulders mm. it, it is not our primary responsibility to lead the church our primary responsibility is to abide in christ our primary responsibility is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given unto you. And for a guy like me, who has uh, more of an administrative gifting, more of a leadership gifting, uh, I have to be careful because I can quickly jump in ahead of God with techniques with things I've read in a book, trying to apply these things. Maybe I heard it, a, you know, I'm hearing somebody at a conference and I'm like, oh man, I should do that instead of discerning the Lord's heart. And then when there's problems, right? When, uh, I think there's an illustration Pastor Chuck always shared with us, uh, how when he had started building and took on these monetary obligations, he would s s park in front of the the property there and go, oh Lord, I've bankrupt your church. Oh, I've destroyed your church. I don't know what we're going to do. And the Lord would always speak to him. Uh, that, that's whose church are you talking about? Um, that, that, and, and remembering that the supernatural part of leadership is actually the only, that the most important part and our surrender to him. And I know it might count, sound simplistic, but listen, don't, don't be afraid of the simplistic things because the Bible is a very simple book for the most part. Uh, and the serving God is very simple. It's, it's, we have made it so hard for people. We have, you know, there's, I was just thinking yesterday, Bill, just this overwhelming sense in my heart yesterday. I even posted it on my, on social media, how 
one of the things I appreciate about Calvary Chapel was that they we were taught, Pastor Jeff is my, Pastor Jeff Johnson, my pastor, we were taught regularly that God can use anyone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you were into. It doesn't matter how jacked up your life is. Uh, and especially in the context, it doesn't matter if you have an education, if you went to seminary, God can use the surrendered man. And I posted that. Well, wouldn't you know, I got some responses. And one of the responses, or actually a few of the responses, was along the lines of, oh, you're anti-education, Ed. You're anti-seminary. Uh, and and I had to respond to that. And I, I, I said, no, I'm in, I, I am absolutely not anti-education. I taught all my kids, anyone that serves with me, get as much education as you can, as fast as you can, as cheap as you can, uh, including seminary if you can. However, for me, I was a teenage father when I got saved. Well, little, I was a teenage father right out of high school, had to get a job, couldn't go to school. And I lived that way for a few years until I walked into church and I couldn't go to school. I couldn't go to college of any type. I had to get a job. And, and to think if I would have walked into a community of believers that said, here's the path to ministry, take this class, this class, this class, this school, and you know, go to seminary for four years and then come back and we might be able to use you. Uh, that wasn't the that wasn't God's will for me. God's will for me was, hey, start here, and I'm going to develop you, uh, and I'm going to. And so what I did was find out all the books they were using in seminary, bought them, and read them. I just couldn't go to class, uh, <laughs> and I just couldn't pay that kind of money. So yeah. I'm not anti-education at all. I'm not. But but the reality, kind of tying it together with leadership, is the supernatural part. Is you don't have to be a superstar leader at all. You don't have to be at the echelons of the Maxwells or any of the other things that flow through the church. These genius of men that live in the leadership space. You can be you because God supernaturally put you where you are and then gifted you for the role that he has you in the body. And to me that I was just overwhelmed yesterday knowing that I don't deserve this, but God knew where he wanted me and how he wanted to use me. And we have to lead take the first step no acknowledging the supernatural work of god otherwise it's right what what uh what the bible says you know have we begun in the spirit to perfect with the flesh are we going to perfect in the flesh what we no we we and we can't start in the flesh either uh we have to we have to start in the spirit and let god do what he wants to do and he's first and not us and that just takes a big burden off of us that self-reflection that you talk about that you had yesterday as the Lord was ministering to your spirit, that is so important, isn't it, for, for leaders? We need to think about that. We need to think about our calling. I think of Paul saying, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has enabled me in that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. And he thought about it a lot, even to the point of writing to Timothy about it. It becomes part of the Bible. So that self-reflection, you know, that meditation on where we came from, like Moses, you know, what I think it was Wiersbe that said he spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, then 40 years realizing he was nobody, and then 40 years discovering what God could do with somebody who was a nobody. It, it is a process, and we never really arrive, because just when you think you arrive, uh, just when you think you've got everything in order, COVID hits. Yeah. And... A new crisis hits, a family. We, and here in Aurora, we've had our fair share. We had the theater shooting not too long ago. 
We've had some things happen within the context of our church. Uh, we've had uh, we, we've faced a lot of adversity, and I know that it's only by the faithfulness of God that any of us have gotten through it. And we underestimate what the Bible says. We need to start with the Bible. We don't take our leadership to the Bible. We take our leadership from the Bible. And in Romans chapter 12, it clearly says that there are people in the church that are gifted to lead. Amen. He who leads, Romans 12, 7 or 8, he mm-hmm. who leads with diligence. Mm-hmm. Like There are people that God has supernaturally gifted to help uh, bring, you know, and I, I think the idea of this word it has the idea of seeing chaos and bringing order to it because God is a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. There are just people in the church that are administrative gifted, administratively gifted. They're, they're able to lead in a, in a higher level. But I, I think that asking that question over again, like there is no le- there is no real leadership in the church. That's not supernatural. Mm. If you are manufacturing whatever you call in leadership and it's not supernatural in nature, don't be fooled. You're not leading anybody. Well, it's time to take a quick 20-second break. You're listening to a conversation with Pastor Ed Taylor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, on the subject of biblical senior pastoral leadership. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor. Poinman Ministries appreciates your participation and prayers. If you'd like to help financially support this podcast, you can go to our website at poinmanministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you. Okay, so we're back, and Ed, you know, just talking about the principles of leadership and and so on, that kind of leads me into another question. What are some of the principles or nuances of leading a congregation which are different from, say, leading a company or a corporation? That's a great question. It made me start, stop and think of the context of where I'm leading here and where I was when I was in the corporate world, and I, I thought of two things. One is the origin of what we're doing and the destination like the origin like in the corporate world we're uh the the motive uh so you got origin motive destination as you're as you're thinking through where you're leading people using all of those illustrations you know the motive in the corporate world is to make a profit uh to to provide a service so well that it's profitable and that was how things were directed however uh i know that in the church that is not the motive and don't ever think it's the motive. It's not about budgets. It's not about how many people are in the room. It's not about your influence. It's not about your likes on Instagram. It, it, everything is to everything within the church, uh, with the people. Even though money's involved, uh, even though you know following the laws of the land are involved and rules and all of that. There's a lot of crossover. There's an administrative back end to every church, and you want to make sure that's clean and in order. Because when you have the administrative back end clean, you can serve the you can do what's really important, and that's take people to the cross. But I asked this question, uh, Bill. I asked this question in our podcast. That's how I launched the whole podcast. I started the when we launched this. I asked the question, "What is the business of the church?" And that's a great question to ask, and you get a lot of different answers. Uh, so I'll ask that to the staff. I'll ask it to someone that's newly hired, to our leaders. I'll say, what, what what's the business of the church? And you hear all kinds of things. We spread the gospel. Uh, we, uh, we're to help the poor. Uh, all great answers. But none of those, I believe, are the business of the church. Uh, when you come down to a practical level, the real business of the church is communication. 
You know, if you like Coca-Cola, you might ask, what's Coca-Cola's business? And everyone says beverages, beverages. Nope. Actually, it's not beverages at all. Coca-Cola is a marketing company. And uh, they're a very good marketing company <laughs> that motivates you to drink a certain liquid. Uh, but, you know, everybody drinks water. So all they do is flavor it and market it. And if they don't do marketing well, they won't do the flavored water well. And if we don't do communication well, we won't do anything else well. And communication first starts with the Lord, right? I, when I moved to Colorado, I didn't know what God wanted to do here. I just know he wanted him to move here and teach a Bible study. I had no idea what was up ahead and, and what God, the breadth of what God wanted to do. Uh, when, when God began to unveil that, I had to keep going back to him and ask, what's your will on this? What's your desire on this? Am I doing it right, Lord? I messed, I messed up. Please forgive me. Help me. And working through that. And I, I look back in my time in the corporate world. You know, I'm sitting in meetings and we didn't hit numbers. And, you know, it, it, was, it was really what you measured. And, and what you measure, you know, the origin, the destination. Like the origin is the church belongs to God, started with him. The destination's heaven. The process, right? The process is disciple. The Bible calls discipleship. So being in cooperation with God to bring people into full maturity, uh, it's it's very different. Like I, I can't I can't say how how antithetical the leadership principles of the world are compared to the leadership principles of the church are. And if there's anything that the world's taught that's good, it actually came from the Bible. It came from God's wisdom. Um, and just because, and you have to define good, like this would be a whole one <laughs> yeah. podcast on its own, right? And because you have to define what's good, um, because if you don't define that properly, that, you know, what, what are the existential type of environment that we're in, that the end justifies the means is absolutely opposite of God. And most of the business theory today is exactly that. The end justifies the means. I know they wrap it up in nice sounding language, but believe me, I was sitting in those meetings and, um, uh, I know what my bosses were looking for. I know what their bonuses were tied to, and I know what their mandate was to me. And the church is just so different. Boy, that's that's poignant and powerful. So there has to be a business to the church, which is communication. I like that. That's that's fresh. And then the uh, the goal of the business of the church. And you mentioned uh, maturity. I think that's wonderful. I like. Paul's statement in Colossians 1, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. I love that because that gives me, you know, an insight into his heart as to what was important, what was the end game. Well, yes. yeah, so, you know, leadership, you've been a leader in the church uh, for a long time now. What's the biggest leadership lesson you've learned in, in all your years of ministry, Ed? Again, your questions were really good as I was reviewing them and jotting some notes down. I think I could go in any number of directions on that. But I, I, see, I see a couple things at play here that lead up to my answer. First of all, uh, in, in planting and pastoring a church, which is what we did here, you arrive in your town or you arrive into a new role and position thinking whether you, whether you, to what degree you agree with this, I don't know. I can speak from personal experience. You kind of arrive thinking you have arrived. And now, and in one sense you have. You've arrived at a new level. God's using it at a new level. 
but you've arrived now and you take the role of a leader. And as you take that role of a leader, I think I forgot, or maybe I needed to learn for the first time that the I, I'm still in the church. I know I make a lot of decisions. I know I'm responsible for, I know I have a lot on my mind, but this is still my church. This is still where I'm raising my family. This is still where I worship. I am not, the senior pastor is not outside of the church. The senior pastor or lead pastor, whatever you want to call it. I never liked the phrase senior pastor. First of all, because I was younger when, now that I'm getting older, I really don't like it, but I don't like it functionally either. (laughs) I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a man in the role of the pastor, right? I'm not trying to, to minimize it. I just like, I, I, the only thing different from me and the people in the church is I have more responsibility. Um, and, and then God has put me in a role that's different, but you know, that, but, but I, I had to learn in the pro that the, that this is my church and I'm still being discipled and I'm still being conformed to the image of Christ. And I'm still, so what, instead of being a problem solver, because the lead position almost, you, you revert to being a problem solver and an arrow ducker, you know, you've got all (laughs) these arrows and you've got all these criticisms. And then when social media came on the scene, like it is unbearable and you're ducking here and ducking there and then you get hit and they're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. Uh, I pour my life into that family. And in a heartbeat, that brand new church in town, now they're going there because it's I'm not teaching the word, whatever, whatever you've heard over the years. And you're just a problem solver and a fire putter outer. And and we're none of those things. We're, we're actually just men and women, our families, our kids growing in grace. And I had to learn that even though I'm uh, overseeing a church, it's still the church my family grows up in and I raising my kids in. And, and probably the big thing I see God doing, the bigger thing that I've seen God doing through this is through, my, through the, the question that the lessons I've learned in ministry is that pride is a very dangerous thing in my life and it has manifested itself in ways I would have never imagined. And when God wants to humble me, it's almost like he's allowed me to do it myself, humble myself under the mighty hand of God. When I haven't humbled myself, God will humble me and it will be extremely more painful. Humility, humbling ourselves is painful nonetheless, but it is much more painful to be humbled by God uh, because it's going to come at the worst time in front of the most amount of people <laughs> in order for God to remind you, Ed, you're my son. I love, you know, the chastening hand of God. And 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 he's going to discipline me and train me because he loves me. He doesn't want me to fall away. He doesn't want me to be dumb. He doesn't want me to d- wander away. And and so this pride, like like I, 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 I don't have less pride, Bill, which is kind of sad. I don't know if it's just me or other. I don't have less pride being in ministry for 20 years. I have battle more pride. I have to battle. I have to be on the lookout for more pride in my life so so that I can lay it before God and allow him to make me the man that he wants me. That was a little surprising to me. I didn't know that God, well, let me put it one more perspective. Uh, Pastor Chuck said, when you're a church planner, uh, the first three years are for the church, for the pastor than they are for the church. Uh, I think he said three years, right? I don't know. I mean, I would look at it more like uh, 
30 years. <laughs> and and so in that some ways, I dis- you know? I would say, you know, quote quote Ed Taylor now, I disagree with Pastor Chuck. I don't think it's the first 3 years. I think it's every year. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it is God has used the church to make me the man that he wants me to be and I just get to enjoy it from a position that fits my gifts and talents, uh puts me in a place where I can serve more people, but I I'm ill ill-equipped and ill-suited for this role, and I'm only here by the grace of God and His enablement, His strength, and His long-suffering and patience with me. Mm-hmm. Well, I can guarantee you, Ed, that you are not alone in this battle with pride. I mean, I think it's an insidious cancer potentially within each one of us, and there's just no escaping it until Jesus returns and gives us a new body, you know? <laughs> Another thing that keeps us on our knees. So, um, leadership, okay, we're, we're talking about that. I've been pondering in recent years the question of, of uh, when does a man begin to self-identify as a leader? What I mean by that, he's not calling himself as a leader, but when does he see it? When does he understand that this is how God made him? He gave him this gifting. He gave him this mantle, so to speak. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of the story of a megachurch pastor that I heard about that when he was in elementary school, he, he, uh, that was when he was identified as a leader. And it, it happened through this class prank where they had a substitute teacher and they pulled a prank on the teacher. And he was the one that instigated the entire prank with the teacher not having any idea that it was even going to happen. And when she found out who did this thing, who led this charge, she was incensed, but she was wise. She said to him, you have a tremendous gift. You had the ability to pull this off in silence while class was going on behind my back, and I had no idea that this prank was going to be pulled. You can use this for good, or you can use this for evil. I would strongly encourage you to grow up and use this for good. And he became a significant leader in the church. And I thought, boy, that's when he kind of got it. He understood that he was a leader, even at an early age. Yes. I, I think this is where your human talents and personality intersect with the supernatural gifting of God. I, you know, I don't believe God gifts a person contrary to the way he made them. Uh, he he might add to that, but like a, a typically a, a, a person that's not merciful uh, generally will not be gifted with the gift of mercy. He might seem merciful, it might grow in his life, but you know the doctors and the nurses. I, I just officiated a wedding yesterday from a young girl that's gonna that they're both studying to be doctors, but I know her more than I know her husband. And looking at her, she she's the kind of person that would bring birds that fell out of trees home, like she. But she was like that before as a child uh, and then now gifted with the spiritual gift of mercy moving into doc, you know, being a doctor and caring for people medically. And and I, I look at a similar testimony that you shared. Like I look back and as at a very young age, I just immediately took control of situations or led people. If we created a, a club and we took 
dues. I remember specifically, we created a club in my neighborhood and we all paid dues with pennies. I was the one that held on to it. I was the one that counted it. I was the one that it was entrusted to it. I was the one that named the club. I don't know that everyone really liked that uh, in that unrefined leadership, but I see over the years, I, I probably had teachers. I think the first teacher that ever and it's a great testimony you share because I, I think back the teacher, the first teacher that did no longer allow, they didn't have that kind of conversation with me, but he gave me the kind of discipline that I needed to say, you will not act this way. Uh, and and, and we, I will not allow you to be the class clown, to be the goof off. I'm going to, and he never told me this, but I can look back. I'm going to train you how to use your language, how to use your influence. Uh, in a in a more productive way and he was the teacher that took me to college and showed me what college could be he's a teacher let me come into his house and and so I see that there has been a leadership thing uh, along the ways however that had to be completely undone in my life when I became a believer because it was so skewed Mm -hmm. and I have a I have a time where when I began to see that God was giving me influence uh, in people's lives. Cause I mean, I guess another way to define leadership is influence, right? Yeah. Um, titles don't give it, uh, barking orders don't give it, but the ability to influence people's decisions, uh, influence their, their lives. And it was in children's ministry. Most of my training came, uh, from serving in our church in the children's ministry. I started with the babies, uh, with, and I had to learn how to be submissive. Um, my first overseer was a woman. And only God would know that I had trouble with women in my life. I had trouble with submitting to women. Uh, I had trouble with my own wife, um, loving her. And so what does God do in his providence? He, he puts me in a position to hold babies and submit to the leadership of a woman in the church. Hmm, it was glorious. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, that Carrie and her husband become good friends with us. Uh, we... We, we're still friends uh, and and learning what it was like to serve. And, you know, I was in cl- I was taking classes at church back then, Bill. I was we were learning a little bit about the Greek and the Hebrew and, and we were supposed to serve. And and we had to serve because we were in class to our service hours. So I I thought, well, I'm going to go to the pastor of the children's ministry. and He's going to give you his biggest class and I'm going to get to drop this Greek and Hebrew on them um, because uh <laughs> That, that's what you do with people in this super class in church. And and he gave me the look that I know now today what it meant. I know exactly any time he used that look. It's He gave me that look and he goes, well, you know, Ed, uh, we ha- we need help in the in the nursery. And out my outside voice said, okay, I will go. Where's the nursery? My inside voice says, are you kidding me? Uh, I They're not, they don't know the Greek or the Hebrew. Um, I can't even talk to those babies. But God knew. He knew that I needed to be under leadership of Carrie. He knew. And then over time, I would go from class to class until eventually I was the right-hand assistant to the children's ministry pastor overseeing the whole thing. Uh, But I couldn't oversee the whole thing until I learned how to hold a baby and uh, serve Carrie in whatever she wanted me to do. And, And God working out my prejudices and working out my my arrogance and working out every, I mean... My goodness, I, he completely, I was completely undone in order to be redone by the Lord. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's so, I think, very common and typical. I, I think of Paul the Apostle Ed, 
you know, he felt like he was really suited for the job. He was going to be the guy that was going to reach the Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem. And the Lord said, no, I want you to go, to the, I want you to go away from here. Uh, they're not going to receive your testimony concerning me. And then he argues with the Lord. He says, but Lord, they know that I was the one that was holding the cloak of, uh, of those that were stoning Stephen. They know my background. I'm your guy here. But he just said, go, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And then he was gone to Tarsus for eight to ten years with no biblical record to record what was going on there. Uh, He was brought to a different place. I think we do need to be undone and remade in our leadership. But I think it's still helpful, don't you, to uh, realize that, you know, from the time we were young in a lot of cases— This is how God wired us, and the natural, like you said, merging with the supernatural uh, makes us what we are uh, in the church. Very, very powerful. So when did that happen for you? You've talked about that. So what's the number one challenge that senior pastors or leaders, do you think, are facing today in leadership? This is COVID-19 season, so I know that they're multiplied. Yeah, I thought I thought a little bit. It depends on what age you are. You know, it depends on the status of your church and the size of your church and the, the responsibilities you have, uh, because we have multi multiple layer things. Some right. So, uh, so with that being said, I think the biggest challenge uh, on a broad scale, the biggest challenge that a senior pastor faces today is discouragement. Mm. Uh, I I really see that to surface. To bubble to the surface and just about all the men, young and old, that I get to talk with, uh, it doesn't matter what their personality, even those that I am finding right now, Bill, and I'm sure you are with Poyman as you're ministering to men, uh, I'm finding that even the most seasoned, most incur- guys that have been around and served in, gr- in so many different capacities sit down today and are discouraged they're discouraged either you know, by the state of the church. They're discouraged about where they are currently. They're discouraged that nobody wants to lead. They're discouraged of what they're reading on Facebook. They're discouraged by how the government oppression, uh, that, that discouragement. that and, and for the guys that say, oh, I'm not discouraged. I want you to pay attention. Like you might even say, I'm not discouraged. I don't normally get. So then I would ask you to pay attention to your coping mechanisms that you deal with discouragement and how you get out. Are you, do you like shooting guns? Maybe you're shooting guns 10 times more now <laughs> because you're covering up this emotion. You're, you're maybe you, if you like to work out and sweat it out, maybe you're working out twice a day now and, and you're looking at some of the ways, um, maybe even fleshly. This is how guys fall. This is how, you know, what, what we call coping mechanisms, uh, the Bible calls flesh. And how quickly you revert to the flesh to cover up some of the inward pains, some of the frustrations. You know, you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, well, maybe I can do something else. Discouragement. Nobody's listening to me. Discouragement. A prominent family just left. Discouragement. It's like the ant that, that it's not even velvet. It's not even a velvet hammer the enemy uses. Man, he just takes a sledgehammer and he's just trying to beat you down because he knows, he knows that you you are critical and integral to the work of God in the earth today and I I think that for the younger guys uh, they're ta- they're faced with watering down the gospel uh, and trying to accommodate the culture uh, where they forget and I like what Greg Laurie said the message never changes 
but the methods do. And so the younger guys, one of the challenges they're facing right now is that as their methodology, as their orthopraxy is changing, you know, how they do things, if they're not careful, they'll change their orthodoxy. Uh, especially in Calvary Chapel, Bill, what I found with this, some of the young guys in Calvary Chapel is that they are they were raised in Calvary Chapel, maybe didn't like some of the things, didn't like some of the distinctives, so that in their orthopraxy, they're changing, which is total freedom to do. But they're also trying to make a statement against something. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to make in a statement against anything. You, you can do it differently. You have permission. Do it differently. Just don't mess with the doctrine because then you're not doing anything differently. You're doing your own thing. So I think that's a young thing. For the older guys, um, for the guys that are older, here's what their biggest challenge is to me, and that is they are resisting resetting their ministry for the current culture. In our little family, there's a tendency to couch everything in the 70s. Well, let me give you a, a news flash. We're not in the 70s anymore. Uh, we're not ministering to hippies anymore. The hippies all grew up. At least most of them. Some hippies still live in Boulder here in Colorado, but most of them have grown up. You, the culture, you know, if I hear one more pastor say, oh, you don't need smoke and lights uh, in order for the gospel. If I hear one more guy say that, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. That, that's not even a point to make. The point to make is keep reaching your culture. Keep reaching your culture. And if colored lights on the stage and haze to enhance those lights is something some guy wants to do, do it. If your worship leader wants to do that, let them do it. Just test it. Um, let let give freedom to these young guys because I'm telling, you, like Chuck again, you know, Pastor Chuck, it resonates with my heart. If if you don't change and God, you don't you don't let God use you. God will use somebody else. And and it's not just protecting your church. Like there, it's going after the lost. It's going after the lost, and we've got to be careful. So I just see some of the older guys, and and I don't use that term like in a bad way, just guys that have been around for a while. I've been in ministry now 28 years, so I guess I could be an old guy. And if I don't become new wineskin, I'm going to, just like the Pharisees of old, when God's ready to do something new, and he's ready to take us to another level, like, I don't want to miss it. Uh, I don't want to mess with the doctrine. But I also don't want to miss what God's doing today, right now. Have you uh, done a podcast on that subject, Ed? Uh, don't let your orthopraxy affect negatively your orthodoxy and, and the dangers of the younger younger guys? Yeah, I think I did it in a different way. I, I, said, I think I did a podcast on different doesn't mean wrong. Okay. That's the name of the podcast. I want to. I want to. Pub, I want to. You know, publicize this right now. Different doesn't mean wrong because I. I love what you're saying. I think it's great. Yeah, I don't think I use orthopraxy and orthodoxy, but for the sake of us, you know, we can understand that. Where, yeah. you know, in trying to protect Calvary Chapel, yeah. where there's guys that want to deal with orth- orthopraxy, and that you don't need to go that way. It's different. Like guys have forgotten that you. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, guys, that have let guitars on the stage. Thank you, Chuck, for taking the heat for all the things that you tried where everybody said, wrong, 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 wrong. And he says, I don't know right or wrong. Like, I don't know. I'm fine. I'm discovering it. And all I know is these kids love the guitar. And if I put a guitar on the stage, I'm going to have a thousand people in this room to which I will teach them the Bible and people will get saved and and it's almost like are we at a place and this is what i want bill in our church are we in a place where we go i don't know what god's doing but i'm sure liking it and 
I want to be a part of it. And I don't know why the room keeps filling up. Um, I, I don't know what God's doing, but he is obviously trusting us. And, you know, I, I just think we make a grave mistake when we, you know, the younger guys, I'm going to prove you old guys wrong. No, you don't need to prove anything. Just go be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just don't mess with the word. And then the older guys going, you can't do it that way. What? Yeah. What do you mean? I, what? what? <laughs> where, where? Like, so... You know, and I look at this and I say, well, you're telling me we can't have lights on the stage, but you have lights on the stage. Like, wh- what? It, well, you can't have haze. Well, okay, so then where's the line drawn? Because, well, you know, uh, we didn't need that back in the day. You didn't have that back in the day. <laughs> so that that's not a fair statement. So yeah. let's talk about what you're really trying to tell me. Yeah. If you're telling me entertainment, if, if you tell me uh, don't use entertainment to reach people, well, that's not fair either because you had movies every Friday night that would draw a crowd that would entertain them with some subject. So why? You could preach the gospel. So like that's a whole different discussion, I think, Bill. But like let's get let's distill it down to please I need you, you guys that have gone before me. I need you to help me. I need your wisdom. I need I need everything that you have. But if you deliver it in a way that, you know, what about that for that seasonal skinny jeans, skinny jeans, skinny jeans, you, know, you, you can't wear skinny. Like, seriously, dude, does God really care about skinny jeans? I don't think so. Just as much as he didn't care about long hair and sandals. I don't think God cares about how tight your jeans are. Now, it might be weird. It might be different. It might be I don't I wouldn't do it myself because you would laugh at me. But <laughs> I don't care what kind of jeans you wear. Just wear jeans, man. And the anointing of God on your life, I want to participate in that. Well, is there anything that you can identify that uh, might be a number one thing that today's pastors must do that maybe they're not doing so well right now? Anything come to mind? I would say, I, I do. I had two things that come to mind, a spiritual and a practical. On the spiritual side, I, I think I think that we as pastors, let's say in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, Jesus addresses seven churches. We kind of apply that to the church. And nobody wants to be the church of Laodicea. Nobody. No church puts on their heading, we're the church of Laodicea. Uh, nobody puts on the heading of their church that they're even the church of Ephesus to some degree. Uh, and and so I say all that to say this. I believe many pastors are the church of Ephesus. I think they fall into other categories other than Philadelphia. And it's easy to say, we're the Church of Philadelphia, we're the Church of Philadelphia, and then kind of relieve ourselves of the reality that there's probably a little bit of all the churches in all of us, in all of our churches. We're not just Philadelphia. Um, But as pastors, we need to stay, and I guess it's a personal thing, right? Because we need to stay in a humble place where we, we aren't the church in Ephesus, where we're called back to our first love because we're so busy and we're so important now. Oh boy, you know, when we're church planning, nobody knows us and we're begging for people. We're just begging for people to come. And now that a few people come, oh, we're so important now. We're not. That's right. We're not ever important um, in that case. And, you know, we don't want to be, what was the church that had a name that they were alive, but they were dead inside? Sardis. So nobody ever wants to be Sardis, but, but you listening to me, if you've stuck around this whole podcast, I'm telling you, at least one person listening to me is Sardis. Hmm. You've got a name that you're alive, but as a pastor, you're dead inside. Hmm. And the good news is, is that you don't have to stay that way. 
God, just like Jesus did to all the churches, he calls you to repentance and he calls us. And even if it's a small way, but I think even in, I just think that I get this, this like this rhema word, I think like a word from the Lord right now that Mm -hmm. there is someone listening that I, that has to identify. This is God's answer to your prayers. You have to identify that outwardly. I mean, who wants to go the way of these guys that have fallen hard? Mm -hmm. I do not want to fall hard. I want to finish well. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to, I, I don't want to blow it. And I don't want to have a name that I'm alive. Oh, look, Ed did a podcast, but I'm going to walk away to pornography or to sin or like whatever. No, no, I want to name that I'm alive because I have the life of Christ. So pastor, please, please, please. Leadership doesn't come before personal relationship ever. It always comes from relationship. Uh, not You can't be a leader and be disconnected from the vine. Like you're never going to bear fruit. I don't care how many people come to your church. I don't care how many millions of dollars are in your budget, how big your building is. All, it's all going to burn. Um, what's not going to burn uh, and what's not burning is your heart on fire for the Lord. And then the practical side, I think if guys will do this, uh, it'll revolutionize their ministry. And that is get your priorities in order. Like choose, if I had to ask, uh, if somebody's asking me that question, I'd say, you need to get your priorities in order in order to lead well and and learn delegation. I just did a podcast on that with another brother recently. You got to learn how to delegate, but understand what delegation is um, because if you're doing things that other people can do, then you're taking away from your capacity to do what only you can do. And so priorities need to start with, what do I need to do that only I can and must do? And I've got to, like the disciples modeled this, right? I can't leave prayer and study God's word to serve the widows. I, it's not that we don't love the widows, but other people can do that. And, and I think priorities and just hard issues, and stepping in and doing the things in order, you know, the Lord will, the Lord will really bless a man uh, and a woman, for that matter, in in a leadership role that will take to heart where they are with the Lord and how they sort out their priorities. Mm, well said. Well, Ed, as we wrap up this podcast, and I've enjoyed it so much. I always love hearing you talk about this and other subjects. Now you got a couple of minutes, and uh, I would like you, if you would, to just speak directly to today's senior pastors. You already have. I think that you just had a word from the Lord for somebody that's listening to this. Uh, but share whatever the Spirit has placed upon your heart. Well, I want to. I want to say to the pastors listening right now, thank you for answering the call. Thank you for the sacrifice that you, your family, have made over the years. I, I want to remind you that it's worth it. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it's worth it. Sometimes we get caught up in the emotion. Uh, you've been wounded. Uh, you might you might be in the context of with an open, gaping wound in your life right now. And you're not forgotten. God hasn't forgotten you. What you're doing is worth it. Uh, I just got a picture today of a, a man. He sent me a picture of the baptism of his son that we did at the reservoir, uh, I don't know, seven years ago or six years ago eight years old, uh, the, the man was wrestling with, should I baptize my son, not baptize my son? Because uh, I think he's too young. He baptized him. It's great. That man's on on our staff now as a staff pastor over missions. Mm. Uh, and, and I think back, I share that to think, you know what? Everything we do, even if I don't get a picture, everything we do matters. And so to the pastor listening, everything that you do matters. You may not get a picture, you may only get negative feedback like the next last six weeks. 
but you're making an eternal difference. This is God's will for your life. He has appointed you. He's anointed you. And and if you're hurting, please ask for help. Uh, you know, you're going to get contact information from Bill uh, for his ministry. And, and I love what Bill's doing. You're on this podcast because you know what Bill and his team are doing. And we got Bob Claycamp with us. So if you're in Colorado, um, you're here in this re- region, we can dispatch Bob Claycamp to you in a heartbeat. Um, he is ever living. Uh, this His call in life right now is to support you and encourage you. And we just, I just I, 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 you're not alone. And what you're doing is worth it. And whatever crisis is happening right now, uh, it will pass. It will not last forever. Very good. That used to be my favorite biblical saying for a season. It came to pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is so great. Uh, Ed Taylor's Bible studies can be ex- accessed at calvaryco.church. Calvaryco.church. His podcast, Lead to Serve, can be found on a number of different podcast platforms Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And also, you could go to edtaylor.org, where there are all kinds of resources for Christian growth, discipleship, and ministry. And Ed, I just want to thank you personally so much for your time in serving me and serving Poyman Ministries and serving the pastors that are going to be hearing this broadcast. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Appreciate our friendship. Yeah, I do too, very much. Well, before we sign off today, we'd love to hear from you with any feedback, comments, or questions you may have. Just send us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. And I would just follow up on what I think is a word from the Lord from Pastor Ed. If you are that guy who is thinking in your spirit, in your soul, I have a name that I'm living, but I'm actually dying inside, reach out. And uh, man, I'll tell you, no judgment zone on any side here. We would love to just pray for you and follow up and encourage you in the Lord. So I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, poymanministries.com slash podcast. All kinds of different podcasts are there listed and ways that our team can help encourage and strengthen you in your ministry. So from the staff, pastors, and board of directors here at Poyman Ministries, We truly do wish God's very best upon you and your ministry. So long until next week. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poinman Ministries. You can find us at poinmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve him, his pastors, and his church.